the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As Christians in America, we have an opportunity for influence that was not available to the church in the first century. There was only one way that church could influence society around it, and that was by spreading the gospel and letting Christ transform people. And that's still the way it works today. Someone has said two things should happen to the Christian. Something happens in us and something happens through us. You're listening to Study Verse by Verse, a short visit each day, Monday through Friday, from Pastor Leighton Sheely of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, and I'm Mike Trout. You can find out a lot more about the church on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to chapter 3 of Colossians, chapter 3 of Colossians. If you're a visitor with us, you're most welcome. We're so very glad that you're here. We're a Christ-centered Bible teaching church. We believe that the Bible is God's word to us. We want to know what it says, what it means, how it applies. And so we go through the scriptures and, and, we, and we, we study them together. Uh, this particular book of the Bible was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. It's called Colossians. And, uh, and it deals with various issues. The believers in uh, Colossae were fond of mixing the truths of Christ with some of the culture that surrounded them and the doctrines of the faith got mingled and the integrity of the gospel was compromised and pretty soon it, it could become very hard to distinguish Christianity from other religions. Uh, in uh, that ancient Roman Empire in which this letter was written, uh, the Roman Empire was basically invaded by the religions of every nation they invaded. So it, it practiced uh, pluralism. You, you could believe, in the Roman Empire, you could believe whatever you wanted to believe as long as you were willing to say Caesar is Lord. And you see, that was the problem for many Christians because they knew that Caesar wasn't Lord, Jesus is Lord. And when they would refuse to say Caesar is Lord, they were branded as traitors to the Roman Empire. They were, in many cases, tortured, imprisoned, persecuted, and sometimes even martyred. Now, we today live in another era, but it's also an era of religious pluralism where the lordship of Christ is denied, where the uniqueness of Christianity is denied, where all religions are basically considered to be the same, that what may be true for you may or may not be true for someone else, and so forth. And to that, Colossians says very distinctly that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, true Christianity is all about Christ Jesus. Uh, He's supreme, he is preeminent, uh, he is of first importance. Everything revolves around him. And that's because Jesus is unique. Jesus is God incarnate. The word incarnate means in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh who came to reconcile mankind with God by making peace through his death on the cross. And so, more so perhaps than any other book of the New Testament, the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ is the theme of Colossians. Now, as is the practice of Paul in writing, he changes in the middle of his writing, in this case in the beginning of uh, chapter 3, and turns from uh, doctrinal to practical matters. And 
this is a very practical matter that he's addressing because he's talking about how we work out our Christianity in everyday life, in our relationships at home and our relationships at work. The section here closely parallels a portion of Ephesians found in chapters 5 and 6, and that makes sense since both of these are called uh, the prison epistles because they were both written about the same time. And when we studied together last, we dealt with the passage about how uh, Christianity uh, takes place in the home. Paul gives instructions to husbands and wives and children and parents about how to conduct themselves as Christians in the home. And today we're going to study the portion of Scripture that, that talks about how Christians should behave and conduct themselves in the workplace. Now our study today is going to begin at verse 22, but I'd like to begin reading from verse 12 because it provides the foundation for general Christian conduct in every situation. It reads, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus, the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so there are three pairs of relationships that are addressed in this section of Scripture. The relationship between husbands and wives, children and parents, and slaves or servants and masters. And in each case, each has a responsibility to the other. In the case of marriage and wives and husbands, it's to submit in love. In the case of children and parents, it is to obey and encourage. And in the case of servants and masters, it is to work hard and be fair. Now these principles for Christian slaves can be applied today in terms of Christian employees. If Christian employees implied these principles from this portion of Scripture today, it would dramatically improve everything for everybody, both in time as well as eternity. I'm saying that, it's a broad statement, but I think as we study this passage you're going to understand why I said what I said. Now with that as an introduction, let's study the passage verse by verse. Verse 22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
The first word at verse 22 is translated bondservants in the English Standard Version, servants in the King James Version, the Amplified Version, and slaves in the New Revised, New American Standard, and several other modern translations. The Greek word here is doulos. And in the Roman Empire, people were either slaves or they were free. They were either slaves or they were free. And these two statuses were central to the social and legal fabric of the ancient Roman world. Slavery in Rome was not based on race or ethnicity. Anyone could become a slave, such as because of debt or because they lost in a war or because they were born slaves. But nearly everyone could become free through processes that were available. Now, scholars distinguish between the form of slavery that was prevalent in first century Rome from the form of slavery that was in 19th century America, but in the end, both are forms of slavery. Slavery was not part of God's original design, but has been a product of the fallen condition of mankind since Genesis. We live in an era when people don't know their history, they don't know their facts, and some have mistakenly chosen to believe the lie that Christianity endorses slavery. That's a lie. The people who believe this don't know their scripture. They don't recognize the impact that Christianity has had upon reducing slavery around the globe for the last 2,000 years. In Christian nations, legalized forms of slavery have all but vanished, while slavery continues unabated in non-Christian nations, communist nations, Islamic nations, and so forth. The Bible does not endorse or affirm slavery in any form. Nowhere in Scripture is it stated that slavery is a divine ordinance, like marriage and family and human government. It is not pleasing to God that anyone should own anyone else. The Apostle Paul taught the equality of mankind in Galatians 3.28 where he wrote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul emphasized the equality of all believers in Christ, but he did not suggest overthrowing the Roman society in order to achieve this. Instead, he taught that all believers should submit to authority by choice. Paul wasn't a political organizer. All of his zeal was developed in the context of the church as a community in which selflessness and love was the basis for relationships, not power. He took the social structure as it was, and he endeavored by peaceful means to change it. His rule, in summary, amounted to this, let the slave wholeheartedly obey his master and let the master be kind to his slave. Thus the ill will, dishonesty, and laziness of the slave would be replaced by willing service and integrity, and the cruelty and brutality of the master would be replaced by consideration and love. In the cities of Paul's day, the great bulk of Christians would have no possibility whatsoever of exerting any political pressure for any kind of reform. They lived in an occupied state, not a democracy or republic. Such is not the case 
in a nation under representative government of the people, by the people, and for the people. As Americans, if we're able, we have a responsibility as Christians to support the candidates and parties that best represent Christian ideals. As Christians in America, we have an opportunity for influence that was not available to the church in the first century Rome. There was only one way that church could influence society around it, and that was by spreading the gospel and winning the souls to Christ and letting Christ transform people. And we'll leave it right there, which actually is where we began on this particular broadcast. We'll pick it up from here on the next program. This is Study Verse by Verse, an outreach Monday through Friday of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And we're a nonprofit outreach, as you might imagine, and would appreciate your participation with us. You can certainly pray for the ministry. You can find out more about the ministry when you go to studyversebyverse.com, and you can join us financially. You can give safely at studyversebyverse.com. I'm Mike Trout. I certainly hope you have a great rest of your day. And join us tomorrow for a continuation of this study in Colossians as Pastor Leighton Sheely opens the Word of God and we study verse by verse.